we had a shootout at a neighboring building where this wasn't um, a dangerous area. It just so happened this was um, city-owned property. Um, they had uh, a tenant there who was having really a big group of friends over that weren't really residents there. And so happened they had a shootout. And so this scared one of the neighboring buildings, which was our building. And for that, I, I had to think of this way, right? Because I want people to be safe. I want them to have a better place to live. And I have to think about that. And I also, you know, on the back end as a business, don't want the building to, to go vacant. So as an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing. And I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too. And you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. What's up, guys? It's Jerome. I just want to let you know we're having a Mid-Atlantic Multifamily Investing Conference July 31st through August 2nd. I can't wait to hang out with you guys there. Check out MyersMethods.com forward slash con2020 to grab your tickets. See you there. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I have the pleasure of having Jason Urussi with me today. Jason, how are things up in the Jersey area? Oh man, we're doing great. So we're here, we're enjoying, everybody's healthy, everybody's happy. We're making an awesome situation here of it and just uh, hoping everybody gets back on track from not being too sick around us. And let's just, let's do this. That's awesome, man. And so if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so they can go over to urusiholdings.com. It has everything about our company, what we do, you know, teaching others about multifamily foundation. And also if you want to check me out on Instagram, Jason Urusi. Awesome, awesome. So no, let's get into it, man. Tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about your track record and what you've been working on. Sure. So uh, I grew up in a, in a small family construction business. And this is my dad's forte. That's what we've always done. He had a niche business where he lifted and moved buildings. And he thought about this, uh, some random thought 45 years ago that that's the direction he wanted to do. Well, I was living in New York City. Um, you know, I had opened up some businesses. I had a restaurant business, a brewery business. And it was going well. And Hurricane Sandy happened and really decimated, you know, the entire tri-state area. My father's business, his niche business, of moving buildings, lifting houses became an extreme need because there was hundreds of thousands of homeowners that needed their house lifted, not only for FEMA reasons, but also hopefully so they don't flood again to the future. So my brother and I moved back out to New Jersey and really helped push that business forward, just keep up the need. But we found that, you know, the more hours we worked, the more we were needed. So, and that wasn't just for our dad, but just overall, we could work 25 hours in a day, eight days a week. It just could have been this part where we could have never stopped working. And, uh, you know, I, I would just got married and you know, I was, we were having our first child, my wife and I, and we, we just wanted to find a way to get our time back. It just got to the point here where we just said, okay, we need to find a way that when we want to be able to have our life, that payment didn't stop, right? Because just like any service business, if you're not doing, you're not getting any money. And so for that point, we looked at real estate. It was always something in our mind, but it was that step of taking action. And we started doing a lot of other active parts of real estate. You know, my wife got her real estate license. She was an active realtor. We started flipping houses, doing wholesaling, you know, Airbnb, all the different things there. But what we really quickly realized was, wow, we just gained more jobs. Instead of, instead of going into this environment of getting our time back, we just found a way to just make our life even that much more busy. So it took us to buy some out-of-state rentals, really just watching the model what somebody else was doing, buying small, you know, two families, three families, that we were able to use the process of, of putting together 
operations side of building a team, building resources and allowing the, the product to work through the system that we just started getting rent checks in the mail without us actually physically doing anything. And that was that aha moment where you just said, man, if you can do this on a, on a two family, a three family, a four family, well, what happens when you take this and, you know, do 50 units, do a hundred units. And that was that, that light bulb moment that went off in my head. And I, I, we quickly sold the properties. We actually just had, had a really good time. Sold those on a really good premium and dove all into large multifamily. And what that encompassed was that we really just put the blinders on, stopped focusing on all these shiny lights in real estate and started listening to you know, podcasts like yours that are all just multifamily, all just about this space and really get highly involved in that space, started reading everything about really the economic factors that drive multifamily, why we like the space, started talking to others, be excited about that, found mentorship to really help us guide through there. And through that, you know, after maybe... Uh, about eight to 10 months doing that wholeheartedly. We closed in our first opportunity, which was a 94 unit back in 2017. And that's led us to today where we're general partners across about um, 800 units, give or take. We just sold that 94 unit and uh, just purchased a 58 unit. So there's some Delta in there. Wow. 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 A lot in a short amount of time. So you just took that 94 unit for full cycle and I saw you accelerating a little bit on LinkedIn and you're kind enough to, to do it on the backside. I was able to watch that. Um, and so did that deal go perfect? And was it as just as you put it on the business plan or were there some hiccups in there? Everything has hiccups. When you, when you throw into you know, a, a business, which it is, and then you, you put in 100 plus people in that business that have their own lives, their own things happening, of course, things are going to go awry. And you, what you do here is, and there, there's a couple of different talk tracks right there, is that that thought of things not going perfectly to plan is what keeps 90% of people from doing anything, right? Because they're worried about that one thing that's going to go off, right? Like the building's going to burn down or, you know, something's going to happen, but you're worried about that extreme thing. What you can do is you spend all your energy focusing on what you can control within the model. And then from there, and you have, it's like having a routine, right? When you have a routine, you keep that routine. And so when things come up, well, you have your routine to fall back on. It's the same thing with businesses. You have to have your core processes. So as you go through the, the development of your business, things are going to come up that are going to be those, you know, moments like, like network we're in now, right? So where it's just an event, hopefully not as extreme that are just going to come up that are going to sideline line you, but because you have your backbone of processes built, you're able to deal with that because the other business is running wholeheartedly. So we had a lot of issues that, that were just sidelined, right? We actually had an underground electric wire burst that took down um, about eight units in the building, you know, right in the middle of the day, but we had the right team members in place. So they were quickly able to get the right team on place and within 24 hours get these units online we had a shootout at a neighboring building where this wasn't um a dangerous area it just so happened this was um city-owned property um they had uh, a tenant there who was having really a big group of friends over that weren't really residents there and so happened they had a shootout and so this scared one of the neighboring buildings which was our building and for that i, I had to think of this way right because i want people to be safe i want them to have a better place to live and i have to think about that and i also you know on the back end as a business don't want the building to go vacant so we ended up having one unit that was vacant there that backed up to see that unit it, and we were able to get through to the detectives. I actually made a bunch of calls and I kept telling people I need to call back because I'm worried someone's going to die. And that gets people 
moving quickly, but I got a lot of uh, questions, calls back from the city, from, you know, from really uh, Section 8, from a lot of different groups to finally get me in charge of the detective for the, for the city housing, and they did a stake out there. And after, you know, three, four, five weeks, uh, it was probably about you know, close to four, they arrested 12 or 13 people. So, you know, from a business side, did I lose income? Yes. But was it worth every darn penny? Absolutely. Because I cleaned up the area. I met it, made it a safer place to live. And I also showed the community base that we're not going to put up for this. We're not going to let them be exposed to this. And we're going to do our best to protect it. And we went there, put up extra lighting, put up you know, different fencing so people couldn't use that as a, as a walkthrough space. Anything we could, that really just makes this a, the ability to be a better place to live. Because as... As running a business, there's a there's a certain point where you, you have to be, of course, you know, revenue and expense driven, but you also have to think of people in mind too. So for me, did, did it make me any money putting a light up? No, absolutely, absolutely not. Did it make me any money putting a fence up? Absolutely not. But did it create a better community? And would that better community hopefully service in a point that our tenant base is going to want to, you know, do the right thing? They're going to want to stay there, you know, because they know we're going to keep them safe. Or are they going to now be respectful of of the the, the quote unquote practices that we have put in place? Hopefully, because they see that we're there not to take advantage of them, but to help them have the best place for them to live. We've tried to carry that through across all of our properties, even with what we're dealing with today. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that will be in a, in a rough point, right? They're going to be in a rough point and it's not their fault, right? It's not that they, they chose this. This has come upon them. Hopefully, you know, some of the stimulus package, hopefully these things will help and maybe they will. But in that fact, if they can see that, you know, if they, if they do get a stimulus check and they have the choice to pay or not to pay, hopefully they see that we're trying to do the right thing. We're not sending them demand letters like they better do this. We're saying, okay, here's a lot of resources that we can show you that we can help you with. That, you know, here's a lot of other resources that are coming from, you know, uh, the federal government. Here's, you know, local re, uh, resources, not only for finding money, but finding food if they need that or other, other provisions just to create this and continue the talk track that, listen, we want to be a, the backbone of the community to really help you move forward. This is an unlikely time, but if we all just keep a positive mindset, we'll all get through this together. I think the power of operating is underrated. And I appreciate you sharing the perspective that is about more than just making a buck. I assume you're syndicating based on the size of your deals. So when you're having a conversation with the passives, do you tell them that this is your approach? Some people may only care about the buck. They may not care about improving the community. After you are already in, well, it's always part of the talk track, but again, for investors, you'll, you'll see with the, when you talk to a lot of investors that they're all going to have different questions and different needs, right? Some, and it's going to go to the, the, the investor themselves. Maybe they're investing for cash flow. Maybe they're investing for portfolio diversification. Maybe they're investing for tax advantages. Maybe they're just like me. I don't know, you know, so it could be anything. They, it could be anything of that point. So when I talk to them, you know, we're talking about, we're, we're going to take this building and improve it. And that's going to be the improving the operations to make this a better place to live. And it's always part of the talk track, but in regards to, you know, where the fluidity of the conversation goes, it's going to come down to what they need. Cause we do the same thing with the investors, right? We, we find that, I don't wait for the deal and then go find investors. I'm always talking to investors, but I want to make sure that not only are we right for them to 
potentially be an opportunity for them, but also that I'm making sure understand what kind of product or properties or investments they're looking for, right? So What's up guys, it's your host, Jerome. I just wanna let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investor. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now let's get back to the episode. Looking for right, some may be more open to lower cash flow in the beginning because they, they don't need the cash flow right now, but they're looking for a, a bigger multiple on the back end. Some may really want the cash flow because that's the way they're built into it. Some I, I have people that just because we'll do cost segregation study that are highly aligned that just want to be within to the deals just so they can take advantage of some of the advantages of, of the tax system. So you, you would always look across what's the right questions for your investors just so you can get the right feedback back. Have you run into a situation where, where you found that an investor wasn't the right, right person being a deal with you, with you guys after you're already in? Uh, no. Um, no. I, I think what is, I've told people in front that this isn't the right deal for them. Like if they're looking for a quick in and out or they want me to change the whole terms of the deal for just them, you know, like there's certain points here where we're, we're tr we want to do this and for our investors to provide them great returns. And we find that, you know, we're not trying to be hogs. We're trying to make this a viable investment for everybody. And that gives us a lot of carryover for, for investors to repeat. Um, I have told investors, right, that this isn't the right deal for them, you know, and I, I'd rather us be psyched about getting to the closing line instead of having investors in the deal that aren't psyched. Um, generally for us, we, we, do a, a response to investors every middle of the month on the 15th, as long as that falls on a weekday where we give them guidance on how the investments are going. And that carries across, okay, so here's what's gone right. Here's what's not gone to plan. Here's what we're doing to correct what's not going to plan. And I, I, I find that that wording really leaves us not with a lot of response back. And at first I was like, man, maybe, maybe they're not getting this email or, or negative, but because we were cutting, so I actually changed over the mail, like a MailChimp, like a tracking system, just so I could see people are opening it. Right. So we're, you, we are having about 90% open rate, you know, 85, 95% open rate. But just because we're treating it in the environment where we're not just saying, yeah, everything's super, you know, like, you know, like roses and everything, but we're talking them through what's actively happening that they're aligned to, to have all the guidance. So if they have a question, it's few and far in between. We're, we're happy to answer the questions. I like the feedback because I find, you know, you only get better on, on having the feedback, but ultimately if you give them that upfront, it, it covers a lot of basis where there's not a lot of context coming back. That first time you had to send an email where something wasn't going to plan, did you have butterflies in your stomach? Um, that's a good question. You know, I think it was always in my mind that we're going to do it that way. So I think I just had it in brain that that's what it was. But I, I, I guess maybe, maybe you know, that's a good question. Well, maybe even another question or the way you can turn that question is, I feel better doing it that way than, than if I was, you know, I could only think if I was like, you know what, I don't want to tell anybody, we'll just get through it on that end because that, that almost, that's not, that's a disservice to your investors. And what if it does become a bigger issue down the line? You want people to know upfront of what's happening just because it's highly informed. So like when that, that power went out to those buildings, like that could have been a huge issue, right? Could have been this thing because it was actually, you know, it became a dangerous scenario. It was a random, um, jolt in power that, that, um, 
of course, the power company is saying that it wasn't aligned to something they did, that it was a surge in power that actually blew up the lines underneath. Like no one's running a microwave and this happened, right? So, but in that fact, because it was on our property, it was, they, they pushed it off. It, 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 was, it was our fault. But regardless, right? That could have been a point. It could create fire in the building. It could have just done damage. And luckily enough, we had the right team in place that were able to get in front of that, of what was happening. But, you know, that was where I reached out to investors, not on that point. I just said, hey, guys, just to keep you updated on what's happening with this scenario right here. This has happened today. Luckily, we, we actually already have people on site. We're taking care of this. You know, right now, we, we expect to have power on, you know, before, before the nighttime, which hopefully a lot of people are at work. And we'll keep you updated throughout the process. So better than, than that, then all of a sudden, you know, they get an email and, you know, you know, three weeks later and say, hey, you know, we had five units burned down or something like that. And then surprise them. Okay, hey, guys, it's better to be up front than at least they know they feel like we're taking the, the, um, the precautions to make sure they're in line with what's actually happening for what, what they own they're part of owners are yeah I really like the way you message it you give them the problem you let them know it's being addressed and then you give them an estimated time of completion that lets people know that things are under control or at least you're trying to get things under control that puts people at eve. But when you just say, hey, the sky is falling, or you just throw your hands up, and there's something going on, and there's nothing going on behind it, that's when people get really, really uncomfortable. Well, yeah, I think you could align that right now to what's happening, is that it's not like, you know, really, if you were to say, hey, yeah, you know, like take a vacation, stay at home for a week or something like that, you know, like a lot of people would probably feel better than they're just told to, to be home for some undetermined timeline of when it could possibly be done. That's probably the hardest thing right now is the anxiety that's coming from people don't know when this ends, right? Could it end middle of April, middle, you know, middle of May? Could we go into the summer? That's probably the biggest thing is the uncertainty on the back end. And so if you can give people an idea of really an estimated timeline, you're going to do your best to keep and keep you updated on it. Then people feel more, more at ease. Awesome. And so, and so, is, is there anything that you could have done to kind of avoid these missteps? Because you know, some people still say, hey, we're not buying anything older than 1990. Or we're not buying anything older than 1980. Like, was it a function of the age of the building? Or is this just kind of a freak and, you know, there's no way to plan that stuff out? You know, this this could be aligned to, to the age of the building, right? So these were original power lines from, you know, early 70s. Um, should it should it happen? No, it should not have, uh, but it did. And uh, did it align with the age of the building? Probably. probably that, that probably made the effect quicker to happen. And there wasn't a surge protection was on there. Um, there was a bunch of variables. So you could look at a newer product, but I do feel that the blue collar working class of the building's in good condition with this was. There's always that demand and need. So you want to look at really both ends. If you're going to have, you know, it, it, it properties that are older, you really want to check out the water lines. Water lines under slabs can be a dangerous, dangerous thing where if you're not scoping those lines and you, and you find that, you know, you could have a lot of money get sunk here, really just fixing stuff under the ground that you're never going to get money back. It's just something you have to do. But on the ultimate end, if you don't do it, you're going to get hit by a buyer when they go to buy the property. They're going to, they're going to probably times you 2x for what it costs to do that to try and, you know, have a price adjustment. So looking at that, yeah, age of properties, um, you're just going to really come down to your business plan and what you want to do. We had a property where there were some drugs in the area and we worked with the police department and city councilor to try to make some adjustments in the neighborhood. It's not just about your property. It's about the area around your property. Have there been any things that you've been able to figure out from a crime perspective so that 
when you're going into a deal, you don't have to deal with those same crime area issues? Yeah, you know, you, you always want to survey the area because you, you do want it, but you also want to know your tolerance for crime, right? If you do have a bunch of blue collar working class, even right, right now, a bunch of people being home, you're hearing about, you know, um, spousal, you know, abuse, or you hear all these other points of people being home, just more people be home. But it's the same thing with communities is that, you know, you're going to have some of that disruption in, in apartment buildings to that point. I want to make sure that there's not really dangerous crimes, but you have to understand that things are going to happen, whether it's, you know, it's, it's newer properties, older properties, the tenant base, they're going to have times that that things are going to happen. So you really want to talk with your local community. You want to talk with the police stations, check in with them, see if this is an area that you're getting called out too frequently, how they're responding to it or other points you're aware of it. You want to know about the neighboring buildings because just like we can control our property, if the neighboring buildings are big issues, I, I may not have any effect to be able to control them, right? So if they're privately owned, then, you know, I may be at the will of them. So we want to make sure there's not a lot of bad actors around us that can really diminish our value of our property and really just the, the well-being of our property. So just knowing the area, making sure, and just seeing where that path of progress aligns with your property. Checking crime maps or anything? How are you identifying if somebody's a bad active or a bad actor? And to put things in perspective, are you only investing in your backyard or you got a wider scope. Yeah, so no, I'm in New Jersey, but we're investing in Connecticut, Georgia, and we have a property in Texas we're general partners on. I do, we go to Truly Crime Maps, it's simple to go through there. You can see really the variety of crimes and just the, uh, the the density of crimes. You call up the local police station, talk to them. You talk to neighboring owners, talk to them. You get the ride from the current property management to talk to them. Um, you, you'll get your insurance claims to see if there's any claims that will come down to, down to point. Um, you'll get your loss runs to see if anything's happened on the property for the last couple of years. So all those things will take into context. You want to do that as part of your due diligence, not only for yourself and your tenant base, but also for your investors. So we'll always look at those those points right there. You do want to have a check-in with your local police department, just to let them, you know, let them know you're buying a property and just if they have any guidance. Um, we actually, um, it's, there was a community board on that one property and we actually put in uh, to be part of the community so we could actually have a local security person drive around the area just as additional support for the area, which is one thing we added in there, which was a nice touch to it heard any hard and fast rules or expect you to have one but do you have any guidance when it comes to crime and the type of crime that happens in the area or at the complex that you're purchasing if there is if you if you see something like murder on that point you know or, or, or like we're going to stay away right i i don't want to come into that area where i have to deal with not only um a a societal issue i i, I want to make sure that we're going to walk in where we can make it better without having to change so many of the actors of the building right because if there's something like that can come on not only is it bad from a you know a crime standpoint but your insurance it may be very difficult for your insurance because even policy prices premiums are going up a lot right now, even if you have a property that's in good standing. So I'd, I'd, I'd stay away from really um, the high impact crimes just because eh, sometimes it's going to be out of your control. And do you go back six months or a year or how far back would you say it's okay before you can buy something that's got some big issues? Yeah, I, I'd say uh, 12 to 18 months. Because if it's been, you know, there's there's always one-off scenarios, right? Sure, that that can happen, right? So you you like if it's the safest area in the world and they had this like random thing that happened, okay, you may think about it. But if you have a series of events that have happened over time in those last twelve or eighteen months, I'd probably think hard if this is the right area that I want to bring investors into because I don't feel that all of the decisions 
can be handled appropriately by us. We may have our hand forced by external measures. Awesome. Awesome. And the final question for you, Jason, is words of wisdom do you have to give the listeners? It is a, a series of learning, but, but implementing, right? You, you can't learn to the point of, of overlearning where like I, I do this for, I talk about this for flipping, right? People will learn two years of flipping before they'll actually flip a house. Then they'll go to flip a house. And within the first week, they, they learn they hate working with contractors. Well, if they had just done anything of action over that first, they would wait, they would get back those two years of, of waste of time. So you have to act and implement and everybody can, can, can have a level of risk. So you have to make sure that, you know, your level of risk may be that you're going to put yourself a little more at risk. If you, you come on as a partner or somebody else, but I wouldn't take other people's money and run, run wild, but I would make sure that I'm acting, even if it's on a team capacity, helping at some point, you know, lead generation, underwriting, uh, helping an investor relations, just so you can see the side of the deal in action, just to make sure that one, you like the roles you're doing and two, that ultimately this is the right model for you. What are your thoughts with mentorship with people? And some people thinking they have to do this on their own. And I don't think a whole lot of people completely understand you're running a business when you buy an apartment complex and it's not just a building, you know, there's a whole business that goes with it. Do you think it's helpful for somebody to look over the shoulder as they go through the process? You, it, it depends on your attitude. You can do both, right? At Multifamily Foundation, we help other investors learn how to do this, and we're happy to help them through the process. We want them to succeed. But if you can do this yourself, great. But ultimately, you know, I found mentorship, and it was highly effective getting me where I am. And I look at it this way, right? Could I have gotten there? Yeah, sure. But it maybe would have taken me twice as long. So what's the cost of that, that double in time for me to get where I wanted to go versus having someone on my side that can act for you know, me to throw off ideas and, and, and really bounce ideas back and forth on. And really the most important thing, when something small comes up that, that when, after, after, after all you find out is insignificant, it seems significant to you at that time. And without having someone to talk and you can't Google it or find it in bigger pockets and you're just like, what is this thing? Well, here you are three, four weeks, spin your wheels trying to find some petty answer where within, you know, three minutes I text someone and say, oh yeah, okay. Got, got this answer back. Here we go. Back on track. Nice. Nice. Jason, I really appreciate you hopping on with me and yeah, on up and letting us see how things are going. I'll talk to you soon, man. Awesome. Thank you. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.